Okay, so you guys have been studying this awesome God, our awesome God, right? That's kind of the series you're going through. Somebody tell me some things that you've learned. What are some attributes of God that you've already learned about that were impressive to you? Transcendence, what's that mean? Okay, being above us. He is above us. What else? How many, how many sessions have we done of this? How, how many? How many? Five or six? Okay, transcendence. What, what's another one? Eminence. What is that? His nearness. Okay, so his farness and his nearness. What else? His love. He's loving. Okay. Anything else? Come on, this side. Give me something, guys. Nope, this side. You are not on this side. Wisdom is good, too, though. Okay. Caleb was going to say wisdom. We'll give it to you guys. All right. Good. Well, so those are some good categories about God. So today we're going to talk about his faithfulness. What do you understand faithfulness to mean? Someone give me a definition of faithfulness. Commitment. So if I make a commitment, I'm faithful? Keeping to a commitment. Okay. That's a good, uh, good recovery. Way to save Caleb. Anybody else? Loyalty, okay, good. Faithfulness, believing in what you can't see. Faith is having trust in something that sometimes you can't see and you can't see. If I trust this podium, I should be able to do this, right? So I put it to the test, I did it, I demonstrated that my trust was trustworthy, right? This is a trustworthy thing. But faithfulness is not necessarily trusting something, it's... Being trustworthy, actually. Okay? So being trustworthy. So in the Bible, we're going we're gonna to open our Bibles tonight. We're going to look at a particular passage that highlights faithfulness in a really unique way. I think it captures a lot of the challenges that we sometimes encounter in life when we deal with God and his faithfulness. Uh, also some really cool things that we can learn about God and his faithfulness. So we're going to look at Psalm 89. So you can open to Psalm 89. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you some other things about faithfulness. So the word faithfulness is actually the word emmet, which my son, my eldest son, is named after. Spelled a little different, but that's the word. Emmet means faithfulness, which also is like steadfastness, uh, firmness, truth, reliability, continuance, so it just keeps going, or it's as spoken, trustworthy, okay? So that's what faithfulness, this word emet, means in Hebrew. It's used in about three different, there's three different like variations of it, used about 127 times in the Old Testament. A lot of those times are used in the Psalms. And Psalm 89 in particular uses 
seven of those times. And it's the psalm, it's the one passage of scripture that has the most instances of this word in the Old Testament. But we see it way before Psalm 89. So I'm going to read you some passages where we see this word and a phrase that's connected to this word used several different times. So before we had, so the psalmist, the psalmist, we'll talk about the psalmist a little bit. His name was Ethan. It was not a Davidic psalm. But before the psalmist, David, there were some people, there were significant figures in the Bible that God made covenants with. Anybody take a guess at who some of those significant people were that God made covenants with? Abraham, somebody on this side. Moses, somebody else. Close to Abraham, between Abraham and Moses. Close. Jacob, yeah, okay, good, we got them all. So, Abraham, you guys remember how after Sarah died, so Isaac is an adult now, and he needs to get married. And Abraham's like, please don't let me die. If I die, don't let, don't let Isaac marry somebody from Canaan. Take him back home. Find a wife for him from where we're from, okay? And so who does he send back? Who does Abraham send back to find a wife for Isaac? Anybody remember? His servant, Grid. So his servant, takes a very long camel trek all the way back to the homeland to try to find a wife for Isaac from his relatives. And so he does. God miraculously provides her. He sits down at the, this well and he says, Lord, please, he says, God of my master, Abram, please honor my master and give him what he asked for, a wife for Isaac. And then before he even finishes talking, um, up walks Rebecca. And Rebecca walks up and says that she's going to water his camels for him, which was the sign, right? And so he's just amazed, and this is what he says. And this is, as best I can tell, the first instance of this word faithfulness being used in the Old Testament. It says, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, which means Yahweh, right? Yahweh is the name of the Lord. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me to the way to the house of my master's kinsman and found he's found this wife. So his steadfast, he's praising Yahweh for his steadfast love and his Faithfulness. That's the first time faithfulness, this word, shows up in the Old Testament and is used. And it's used in connection to this phrase, steadfast love. So steadfast love and faithfulness. Then, skip forward several decades. We now have Isaac's son, Jacob. And Jacob has run away to Laban. He's done all kinds of things, married a bunch of women, had a bunch of kids. He's coming back into the promised land and he's afraid of Esau, his brother, because he left on real bad terms, and he's afraid Esau's going to kill him. And so he's talking to the Lord. He wrestled with the Lord, and the Lord blessed him, changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And this is what Jacob, now Israel, says. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. So, steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, we didn't read the covenant that God made with Abraham and the covenant that God made with Jacob, 
but he made covenants with both of them before they departed out of their, their homeland and into a foreign land, and then they came back into that land with a bunch of, a bunch of blessing, and the, God, the Lord had honored them. And so he said, the, now they've both used this phrase, steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, fast forward, way, like hundreds of years, 400, 500 years later, Moses now we're Moses. Moses has now led the people of Israel out. So they went from two camps of people to potentially millions of people. They've, they've left Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. They have made it to Mount Sinai. They have really botched it worshiping a cow that was made of gold. And the Lord has punished them for that. But the Lord, before that, he made a covenant with them. What was the covenant that he made? What was, what's like a famous thing connected to that covenant? Ten Commandments, right. Then there were 603 other laws that were talked about during that time. But then after all of this, after they really blew it, after the Lord has made his covenant with his people, they really messed up, they really blew it, he comes back to to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to make two more tablets because you destroyed the, the two that I gave you when you threw them at the calf. I want you to take those and I want you... I might have just referenced a Ten Commandment movie. I don't know that he actually did that. Well, anyway... Moving on. So he has told Moses, go back up to the mountain where you met with me. Bring me two tablets that you have carved out. And this is what happens. It says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So this is the Lord proclaiming the name of the Lord. What's the name of the Lord that we just mentioned? Yahweh. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed in the cloud, the Lord, the Lord. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will not by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon their children's 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 children. So, but again, we see the phrase, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So God... Yahweh, in front of Moses, says, Yahweh, Yahweh, and describes himself. He says he's slow to anger, he's merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So God has been described by the first people that walked with him, knew him, and has described himself with this term, faithfulness. It's kind of a big deal. So, what is this faithfulness? How do, we, how do we see it play out later? So the children of Israel have been given this covenant with God. They did not do a good job honoring it. They got into the land. They didn't do what God said. They really like spent hundreds of years not doing what they were supposed to be doing. God gives them a king because that's what they said they want. That king didn't do very well. Saul was the first king. He really blew it as a king. He didn't honor the Lord. He wasn't faithful. But then the Lord comes along and he anoints a new guy who is David. He anoints David. The declor- uh, Let's see. Here we go. 1 Samuel 16. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, and from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. So this was after David has been anointed over his other six big brothers. He's been anointed as the future king. Now, how many years, do you guys guess, if you remember, how many years was it between the time he was anointed to be king and he actually became king? It was a long time. 
It wasn't 40. It was closer to probably to 20, I think, 10, 15, 20, something like that. But long time, he's anointed king. While there's still another king. And then he runs from that king for a long time for his life, but he's been anointed the king, right? Okay, so David lives his life. He is faithful before the Lord. He has a lot of confidence and faith and trust in the Lord because the Lord has proven himself faithful. So he trusts the Lord. And so then the Lord interacts with him and he makes a covenant with David. And this is, this is what it says for 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, moreover, the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come, uh, sorry, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me and my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But his steadfast love will not depart from, my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took him from, as I took it from Saul. For I put away from, I, for I put away from before who I put away from before you. Sorry, that was a little confusing sentence. God's saying, I'm not going to take away the kingdom I give to you and your son and your offspring like I took it away from Saul. And the house it, and the house, your house and your kingdom shall be forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with this vision, David spoke, or Nathan spoke to David. So God now has made a covenant with David, like he made a covenant with Abraham, and he made a covenant with Jacob, and he's made a covenant with Moses and the people, and now he's making a covenant with David. And he's saying, he will be, his steadfast love will not depart from him. Okay, this is where we get to Psalm 89. So, open Psalm 89 up. Psalm 89 is a long psalm. And we're not going to read the whole thing. But, if I was to assign you homework, it would be to read Psalm 89. Sometime this week, read Psalm 89 once or twice. We're going we're gonna to breeze through it quickly. We're going to hit some important verses. So starting in verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will, will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Isn't this kind of a break? Change the subject a little bit. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A, great, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. All right, we're going to jump down to verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shouts and walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory, 
of their strength, for by your honor our horn is exalted. Okay. Verse 18 finishes that out. Then there's another sort of change, change in the, in the temperature of the psalm. Jump down to Psalm 24. So this is, let me set it up a little bit. So Psalm 19, this is now Ethan, who is the one writing this. Ethan's kind of just talking about the general faithfulness and quality of the Lord. And then he gets specifically to David. And in verse 20, it says, I have found David, my servant, with whom, uh, with my, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him, my arm also shall strengthen him. And then jump down to verse 24. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. All right. And then jump over to verse 33. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for, once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. And then down in verse 38, it starts a new charge, and it actually changes up. So we're going we're gonna to jump down there and read that because it's important. But now, but now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant, and you have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls and have laid his strongholds in ruin. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes, and you have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and, and you have not made him stand in battle. Then jump down to 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide your face forever? How long will wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity... You have created, for what vanity have you, cre- you have created all of man, children of mankind? What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? And here we get the last verse that mentions faithfulness. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? And then the psalm kind of ends on that question. So to recap, we've now hit every verse that mentions faithfulness and some extras. But we see this flow that happens where the psalmist is talking about the covenant that God has made with David. He starts off by talking about how wonderful God is, how steadfast steadfast love and his faithfulness are known and made known in the heavens. And then he talks, but then later on he says, well, where did you go? You've disappeared. Why, Why is David struggling and suffering? Why are his enemies winning and he's losing? What happened, Lord? Where is your faithfulness and your steadfast love of old? And that's where the psalm stops. Kind of a discouraging place for a psalm to stop, isn't it? All right, well, let's talk a little bit about who Ethan is. The beginning, go back to the beginning of 89. Right at the top, there's going to be some sort of little header for the psalm. But below the header, it says, A mascal of Ethan the Ezraite. You guys see that? All right. So the part that says, A mascal of Ethan the Ezraite, that part is Scripture, I think. I think that part is Scripture. The other part is not Scripture, but that part is. It's 
basically the signature of the psalmist. And he's saying this is who wrote it. A mascal is a type of psalm that talks about insight or knowledge. So this is a very specific type of psalm. There's, there's not tons of them in the psalms, but this psalm in particular is saying, hey, I have insight, I, I know something about something, and I'm going to tell you about it. <laughs> so that's what he's saying. He's explaining something. He's actually giving an account of something and teaching while he's making the psalm. So Ethan the Ezraite was one of about five or six brothers who were alive around the time that David and Solomon were alive. And later, when Solomon is described with his great wisdom, he said he had wisdom that was even greater than Ethan the Ezraite. So this man, Ethan, shows up a couple places in the Old Testament around this time, and Solomon was compared to him for his wisdom. He said, bet more wise than Ethan, but still, to be compared to somebody, have Solomon be compared to somebody is a big deal. This was a wise man. So this wise man is teaching us something that he has learned, and he's giving us insight about God in this, this psalm, this mascal. And he's used faithfulness more consecutively than any other passage of Scripture so far. So this psalm is about God's faithfulness. But it ends asking, where is your faithfulness? So my question is, when God doesn't seem to be faithful, does that mean that he's not? Your silence is deafening. What do you think? No? But, okay. I like your answer. I think it's a good answer. Let's talk a little bit more about David. So we know that David was a ruddy youth who threw stones at giants and killed them, who fought bears and lions in the field. He was a man's man. He was a musician. He had all of these mighty men that followed him, and he was like a war chief, and he fought people and killed Philistines and did really weird stuff when he killed them, but he killed them and he killed lots of them. And, and he was known throughout the whole land. David was feared by his enemies. Eventually, he became the king, and he lived and settled in a city. And when he settled in a city, then he started not being faithful to the Lord, right? Very famous moment in David's life. Commits adultery. And then he commits murder. And then later, he doesn't deal with some family problems that are real significant and huge in his life. He doesn't deal with them. He doesn't seem to have raised his children in a God-honoring way or done a very good job consistently there. He had a lot of kids with a lot of different wives, but he didn't seem to be doing great there. Towards the end of his life, we just see David kind of decay. He eventually makes a bad decision again, and the Lord punishes him for it. He has a son that rises up whose name was Absalom, right? And Absalom basically drives him out of the kingdom and usurps the throne. I believe it's somewhere in this time frame, David's older age, probably sometime around when Absalom has kicked him out of the kingdom, that this psalm is being written. So it's kind of, kind of in the moment this guy's recording this stuff. He's recounting back. He's thinking about all the things that God has done. God's amazing faithfulness that he's shown to Abraham and to Jacob and to Moses and to David. 
But right now, when he's writing this, they're not seeing the faithfulness of God. They're seeing the opposite. They're seeing the absence of God. And he asks a fair question at the very end. Oh, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Then it says, verse 50, Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. And then it says, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. So there's a couple of things that I want to point out here. And I'm running out of time. You guys all have pencils and pens in your Bibles. In verse 5 of chapter, of chapter 89, Psalm 89, verse 5, from about verse 5 down through 18, that's a section. So you guys to highlight that section. Verse 5 through 18, or make a note of it. Okay, so this section is where God is or where Ethan is praising God and saying, hey, it was good. Oh, it's great. Having the scripture read, it's great. Ethan is saying, let the heavens praise you, the wonders of the Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. God, or Ethan is, is talking about two different spaces where God is recognized and lifted up and exalted. The heavens and on the earth. And two very specific places, the assembly of the heavenly beings. And then he does this real interesting thing in, um, in verse 9. You are the ruler, you rule the raging of the seas when its waves rise and you still them. You crush Rahab like a carcass and scatter his enemies. The heavens are yours, the earth is yours, the north and the south, Tabor and Hermon. You have a mighty arm, this is verse 13, you have a mighty arm strong in your hand, high High is your right hand. These two places, the heavens and the seas, were like really important, significant places for the Jews. The seas were where like chaos happened. They were unknown, they were scary, and they were uncontrollable. And he's saying here, you rule the raging seas and you, you calm the waters. They're still for you. And he says to the heavens, the heavenly beings, you control the heavenly beings. There's none like you in the heavens. So God is comparing, or Ethan is comparing God to like the most powerful and scary elements of nature that they think of and beings that they think of as controlling them. And he's saying, you're greater than all of these. And he's saying that your faithfulness, your your Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. That's verse 14. So that steadfast love and faithfulness phrase that we've seen before is referenced here. So that's one thing. We see that God is faithful in the heavens. We see that God is faithful on the earth. But then we get to this really important part in verse 38. So this is another. So you guys have marked 5 through 18. I want you to mark 19 through 37. And in your notes or in your Bible, wherever you're marking there, in that section there, say that's, that's remembering God's faithfulness to David. Right? That's God's covenant with David. That's what he's talking about there. So he starts by talking about how God is faithful 
beyond all these other things that are scary and terrifying and unknowable. And then he's talking about how God is faithful to the specific person, David. And then verse 38, through basically the end of the chapter, 38 through 52, seems like the departure of faithfulness. God's not being faithful. It seems. It seems God's not being faithfulness. Or being faithful, right? (laughs) But then the last verse, verse 52 well, sorry, 49 through 52, is kind of this idea of trusting God's faithfulness to return. Remember, Lord, your steadfast faithfulness of old. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. So, as we close out here, I tell you all of this because I have a point. The point is that as God describes himself, he describes himself as full of steadfast love and faithfulness. When the people that knew God best describe God, they talk about his steadfast love and his faithfulness. We see this psalm that has this very wise man teaching us a very important thing, reminding us of God's faithfulness, but then asking a very important question. Where are you, God? Where are you when you don't seem to be here anymore? I hope, none, I hope this doesn't happen to any of you, but maybe it will. Maybe some of you will get points in your life where you will question your faith. You'll question, is God real? That happened to me once. It was a pretty scary moment in my life. One of the things that the Lord used to remind me and help me to be steady in that time was Psalm 46, where God talks about his being established and that even if the mountains were thrown into the sea, the Lord is And that really mattered to me because at the time, I was really questioning, is God real? Why do I believe what I believe? I believe this my whole life. This is nuts. Why do I believe this? I was really questioning. It was a real scary moment. It was a scary time in my life. But that verse really stuck out to me. It said that even if all these things that I think of as certain go into chaos and out of control, God is still faithful. And I think that that is what Ethan is talking about here in this passage in Psalm 89. And I think that's kind of what David was experiencing in this time. He was thinking, where are you, God? Remember me because you are faithful. Well, there's a section of 2 Samuel 2 Samuel 16, this is where David is leaving the city. He's trying to make it out away from Absalom because Absalom's trying to kill him. And all these people are cursing David and throwing stones at him and his party. And they're ridiculing him. They're saying all kinds of terrible things to him. And this guy stands up for David and says, "Why why are you cursing David? And this is what David says. Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this one Benjaminite, he was a Benjaminite, Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do, to do it. May it be that the Lord, for the Lord has told him to. May it be that, maybe the Lord has, sorry, all my words are jumbled together here in my notes. It may be that the Lord will look at the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay him with good for his cursing today. And David and his men went on their way and they cursed him through stones. So 
David received what was happening sort of from the Lord. He said, the Lord will remember me. The Lord will remember me. The Lord will repay the evil that's done against me. And then, of course, Ethan, right? He's writing here and he's saying, blessed be the Lord. Remember your steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, last thing I'll point your attention to is in 1 Kings, this is when Solomon is coronated as king and Solomon is off and he's making his, um, his sacrifices to the Lord as king and the Lord comes to him in a dream. And this is where the Lord asks him for what do you want? Right? What, what, do you, what do you want as the king? And so this is what Solomon says. You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him the great and the steadfast love and have given him a son to some of his throne. And now, O Lord God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David. And then, of course, he goes on to ask him for wisdom. But look at how Solomon describes how God was to David. He said that he was faithful to David. So David's dead at this point. So even though Ethan, the psalmist, finishes the psalm with, remember your faithfulness and your steadfast love, where are you? Later, we see the end of the story, and his son is saying, you are a faithful God full of steadfast love, and you were faithful to my father, and you were completing the covenant that you have made with him. So the reason I tell you all of that is because, do we have questions? What happened to the question? Do only the leaders have questions? Oh. Who's a leader with questions? Hmm. Can't remember what questions. Oh, hey, let me see your questions. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. How many of you guys are upperclassmen? All right. It means you're juniors or seniors. Sorry. How many of you are, how many of you are homeschooled? How many of you know your grade? Sorry, just a joke. All right. So upperclassmen. You guys are getting ready to launch out, right, into college or whatever is next. Maybe you're not going to college. It doesn't matter. You're getting ready to launch. You're going to start running into things that you maybe know a little bit about, but you're going to start experiencing them in a whole new way. And one of the things that I want you to leave or depart into is that God is trustworthy and God is faithful. He is not changing. He won't change. It is contrary to his nature to change. It's impossible for him to change. In theological terms, we call it being impassable. You will change. You will change a lot. Your friends will change. Both the people that you know now, they, they will change. And then you'll get new friends, and they'll change. We are passable. We change a lot. We learn, we grow, we get smarter, we do dumber things. But God doesn't. David 
follow the Lord hard. And then he didn't. And he repented. And he did, and then he didn't. And he repented, and then he did, and he didn't. And he repented, and he did, and he didn't. And then he did again. The reason why people say that David, or why God said that David was a man after his own heart is because he pursued the Lord even after he changed, even after he made mistakes. So for all of you, what upperclassmen or not, as you make mistakes, as you sin, as you veer off course, remember that you can change, but God cannot. And he always invites us back. There's the beautiful story of the prodigal son that represents to us who the father is. He's the father that's waiting there for us to come back. He's always ready to bring us back, right? But God is faithful. And even when you encounter things in your life that are hard, that feels like aren't going well, or actually they're just going terribly, remember that God is faithful. And remember that it's okay to say, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? which by your faithfulness you swore. Remember me, Lord, remember me. And then you start this really important thing where we wait on the Lord. And that's where waiting on the Lord is really challenging and hard. But if you look at most biblical characters, most of them waited a long time. There's like no time between Genesis 13 or 15 and 16 like when we read it, that there's like 10 years there when you, when you read the numbers. It gives us numbers. How old, David, how old Abraham was when this happened and old, how old it was when this happened. It was like 13 years happened between like the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16. You can go through a long time sometimes where it feels like, where is God? But he's faithful. He's faithful. And so... What he requires of us and asks of us is to trust him, to put our faith in him, as Katie mentioned earlier, to put our faith in him because he is trustworthy. And we continue to be faithful to him. Okay, I'm eating into my question time. There are three questions. These are the things I want you to think about with your discussion groups. How have you seen God's faithfulness in your life? How have you seen it? It's important to mark those things. Mark them in your own minds. In Israel's history, they would, do these, they would put stones down to remember things. And we talk about those things as being Ebenezer's, raising an Ebenezer. It's a memory point, a milestone, a check mark. This was a moment in time when God did a thing. I encourage you guys to make Ebenezer's in your life for God's faithfulness because they will undoubtedly become very helpful and encouraging to you at some point. What does our faithfulness to God have to do with his faithfulness to us? This is another question. What does our faithfulness to God have to do with his faithfulness to us? And then how does Psalm 89's evidence for God's faithfulness impact how you see the physical world? I'm going to suggest, discussion leaders, that you nix that one and you just go with the first two unless you really are interested in the third one. Okay. Guys, thank you so much for listening to me. I went a little long. You're welcome. I'm going to pray real quick, and then you can break up into, or Mr. Stalker will tell you how to do that. So, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are with us. Because you said you're with us. 
And you sent your Holy Spirit, and he is with us. Jesus, we need your help. We are weak people. We are changing people, and we need your help. Please help each of these, my little brothers and sisters, help each of them. As they think about the ways that you have been faithful to them, help them to remember those things and to make Ebenezer's. And when they encounter things in their life that are hard and that you seem to be absent from, help them to remember in those hard times that you are faithful and your promises are true and sure. And help us to live faithfully. Help us to be quick to return to you when we stray and to remember your goodness and your greatness. And thank you for this Psalm 89 and all these characters in Scripture where you have demonstrated your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And they made a big deal about it and they remembered it and then you you had it written down so that we would remember it. Help us to constantly return to your word as a mark of your faithfulness as all of the Ebenezers you've left for us and help us to trust you, our great and faithful God. Amen.